This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. With thanks to the Carlo and Kilkenny Local Enterprise Offices for business, financial supports and mentoring services. For more information, see localenterprise.ie. Hello, good evening and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 7 o'clock this evening. Coming up on The Bottom Line, have you, your business or a community or business group got a big idea to use digital technology to transform your area? We'll hear about the DOT i.e. Digital Town Awards and talk to Una McCutcheon and Vernon Buckley about how you can put your hat in the ring and how last year's winners Pilltown County Kilkenny have fared since scooping the top prize. John Doyle will talk to us about how two old orthopaedic chairs and a gut feeling he had on a visit to his parents-in-law led to the start of a family business that led to his company, High Tech Medicare, being named Business of the Year. And we'll have lots of good advice and some sobering information about the threat that cyber attacks continue to pose to businesses large and small. All that between now and 7 o'clock. But first, every week usually we start the programme by checking in with one of a range of commentators and analysts to get a handle on where the economy is at because, of course, wider economic factors have a huge bearing on how business in this area and in this country fares. Over the last week, the EU Commission issued its latest economic analysis and forecasts. Before we came on air, I spoke with Eamon Quinn, business editor of the Irish Examiner, and I started by asking him how he described the forecasts for the Irish economy released by the Commission. Uh, John, well, the, 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 the Commission's forecast can be described as, as sparkling under the circumstances of this another crisis after COVID, this energy crisis, the cost of living crisis. They see the Irish economy growing the fastest, again the fastest in Europe this year, um, at 5%, GDP they see expanding 5%. That obviously is down from, um, uh, you know, the double-digit growth uh, in the economy the economy was generating last year. But it compares with barely 1% growth across many, many European, other European countries. And then it, uh, on the ground, it sees the no visible negative effects from the global shakeouts for Ireland, from the tech job uh, cull, which has been obviously generated uh, quite a lot of comments in recent weeks here because of the huge numbers who are employed by multi- the multinationals. And then uh, looking at consumer prices for uh, inflation prices, uh, Irish uh, inflation is currently running um, at the hot rate, but it at the same rate as most other European countries of around just over 8%. Now, I see that rate falling in Ireland to about 4.4% this year, and then at a rate of just over 2%. Uh, these are average rates, obviously, next year. And uh, what's driving this uh, spectacular growth, it has to be said? Um, Many people, when they hear spectacular growth, kind of draw their breath in and wonder, (gasps) bubble territory, because we heard Ireland's economy having spectacular growth before, and that didn't end too well. Well, we, we do. We've got a right to worry, given that uh, the financial crisis, the great financial crisis, was only uh, just over a decade ago. Then the COVID crisis, and then this energy crisis with wholesale prices rising. Now, the the model seems to be quite resilient. The Irish uh, 
economic model seems quite resilient, and that is basically, even though it's been questioned, obviously, under under spotlight in a way that it hasn't been for quite a while. In other words, that model is based on uh, attracting huge amounts of multinational uh, uh, in investments. And the European Commission, in these new forecasts, it cites the IDA as um, as 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 predicting that the um, those foreign investments will continue for uh, at a fairly high rate for the first half of this year. So more uh, dependent on foreign direct investment than the property uh, boom that we had before, which crashed the economy. But uh, it has to be said, you know, the the tech sector and foreign direct investment uh, is amenable to shocks as well. How confident are they in the continued growth of that sector and how much can we rely on it? They, they seem fairly confident. They seem um, the, uh, the 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 those forecast uh, talk. If you if you're getting GDP growth of five percent, that they're, they're forecast almost five percent as they're as they're forecasting. We know that the that is overstates the amount of um, of because that is measured in GDP. We know that a, a better measures uh, like modified domestic demand are uh, better measures what actually the way most households experience um, uh, experience growth and we know that that is a lower rate all the same um, you know it, it is quite remarkable Households are going through huge pain. The poorer, poorer the households are, you're going through much more pain because that's the way inflation, inflation is hitting uh, energy bills. It's facing, it's facing, uh, you know, grocery bills are still rising at by double digit rates, and that will become a problem uh, for the government uh, as the as the months go by. Mm, it's it's kind of like the, the economic figures are good, but the quality of life index may be under pressure. It's been an enormous um, reduction in inflation, really. Where do they expect it? I mean, you, you talked earlier about how it'll be at the end of this year, but like looking ahead into 2024, any indications of where inflation will bottom out? They're looking at the... They're focusing on now, as wholesale... The way that, that most people look at this, you, you look at day by day, you can actually watch it hour by hour, uh, the European wholesale gas prices, uh, they have fallen quite substantially. Now, they're not back to levels of 18 months ago, well before um, the, Ukra- the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Uh, however, they have fallen dramatically since last, since reaching peak last uh, August. Why do we look at wholesale gas prices? Wholesale gas is used um, across Ireland and across most other uh, European countries to produce a huge amount of electricity. Um, obviously, you add in the uh, you add in the uh, wind turbines into that, and um, that has fallen very very rapidly. However, there are other signs. If you break down the inflation figures. And this is the case across most countries. Here you're looking at grocery prices, which are ri- still rising at, you know, in double digits, 14%, that type of uh, annual increases. And that may become an issue. Uh, and indeed, the issue is already, you're seeing already the issue in household energy prices because how quickly the um, 
the utilities pass on the uh, uh, any decreases. Now, those will be huge scrutiny over those two areas as the months go on. Mm, now, while inflation may be going in the right direction, interest rates are going in the opposite direction. Maybe it's the um, best thing for the economy, but interest rates rising and uh, Christine Lagarde quite adamant that they're going to keep going up for the foreseeable. Yeah, this could be the sting in the tail because the um, as you said, as you, as you were uh, looking at those figures, you were quite rightly um, asking about the outlook for inflation. Now, they see um, they they see Europe wide or Eurozone wide, more specifically, inflation rate uh, still slightly over two percent. That's an average next year, and that means that that which is basically somewhere near the the ECB's famous inflation target which they which they um, which helps base their uh, interest rate decisions now that looks like uh, in other words in the what coming out in the watch is that the ECB is basically likely to keep interest rates higher for longer they've got, they've uh, all but guaranteed a half point another half point rise next month in official rates and that obviously will feed through immediately into people on track of mortgages here and indeed fixed rate mortgages will become an issue as they mature later this year you know the short term mm. fixed rates of two years and there's a lot of people will be in other words for the first time having to refinance mortgages uh, who are on maybe even first-time buyers uh, who are on you know only a two or three-year fixed rates who are maturing this year who will feel the effects of as you said um, the uh, the ECB's uh, inflation uh, fighting uh, interest rate hikes mm, a, a complex enough figure and unusual in our experience I suppose over the last thirty years plus as a as a society because interest rates gone up inflation coming down uh, and the inflation was very high but all in the environment where we had pretty much um, you know full employment so you know I know from speaking to a lot of businesses uh, that they're finding it difficult to get staff um, you know I was looking at a, a business in the UK where they could do an awful lot more business but they can't get staff letting people in an interesting dynamic Interesting, very well, very well uh, very well spotted that, that, that's uh, a very good point this in this crisis, the uh, unemployment does isn't where it's it's basically isn't the running sore as it would have been ten over ten years ago. Um, the unemployment rate, the Irish unemployment rate, is running at uh, running at four point four percent, which is close to where it was. You know, like a record it's record low. Mm. And as you say, there are, um, you can see the uh, the notices, hiring notices, the shortages, which is a feature across, including in, including in Britain, as well as other European, you know, as, as, and, and, other, and elsewhere in Europe as, as well. Now, the, the, it would appear the nature of this crisis would appear to be hitting people who are, who are basically, um, who will be, who are struggling in some sort of way with 
their household finances mm. and that basically uh, the lower paid and uh, the uh, that's where the pain will be uh, again uh, come through mm, because, because you can't get you can't get wage increases off you know to compensate nobody uh, is getting that 10% wage increases to, that you and I know anyway mm. John Pleasure talking to you as usual that was Eamon Quinn business editor at the Irish Examiner thanks for joining us Eamon and we'll talk to you again KCLR, The Bottom Line with John Purcell. With thanks to the Carlo and Kilkenny Local Enterprise Offices for business financial supports and mentoring services. For more information, see localenterprise.ie. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. Casey Lauren Deed, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on the station. It's just 21 minutes after six o'clock. We're here until seven. Just want to mention Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce are holding their February Chamber chat on next Thursday, the 23rd at 6pm in the Pembroke Hotel. And they're going to talk about the importance of well-being in the workplace with Brian Kelly of Mind Decline and County Carlow Chamber. Meanwhile, they're doing an HR overview and update with Kirsty Kavanagh, who's the principal at Kavanagh and Co. Solicitors and that's next Tuesday or sorry Tuesday week the 28th of February and that's 10 to 12 p.m. and it'll be in the Woodford Dolman Hotel check out the local chamber websites and you'll get lots more information about that now Eamon Quinn uh, was talking to me about how the EU Commission have described the Irish economy as sparkling but something that's not sparkling is the whole world of cyber security and there's been a big story in the Irish news recently about a hack on MTU and uh, we thought it'd be a good time to refresh ourselves on all the threats that are out there and what businesses can do to take account of those threats. Joining me on the line is Gavin Dixon, CEO of Bits Business IT Solutions. Uh, work with a range of companies throughout the southeast and beyond. Good evening, Gavin. Good evening, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, listen. Uh, before we get into the nasty world of cyber threats and so on, how's business? Business is good, thankfully, um, and I think I feel bad coming in with some negatives. And we're talking about the, the nasty world of cyber threats after Eamon was point, point, painting a, a more rosy picture. But I suppose, as you know, we deal with a lot of businesses across many sectors, and we're hearing very positive things as well. That people are telling us that they're growing, they're expanding, they're trying to to build their business, and they're they're seeing all the positive signs out there. So that's positive. I suppose the only the only consistent negative message we're hearing is how hard it is to recruit and how hard it is mm. to to keep on top of that side of things um, and sometimes we actually have conversations with our clients about how they can make themselves more attractive to potential employees by offering the flexible working as we've talked about I think in the past as well the remote working mm, so and indeed that, uh, technology a big part of that yeah and probably brings us into that kind of conversation around um, security as well because when you start um, allowing that to happen and letting people work from home and all the rest of it. There is probably a security concern there that needs to be looked at, talked about, or at least um, on the agenda as part of that discussion, you know. Yeah, we come back to that maybe, but uh, is it fair to say that while we may look at inflation coming down, interest rates going up and down, business cycles coming and going, it looks like cyber security threats are here to stay and people need to kind of have it, have it as a constant issue on their to-do lists? Yeah, unfortunately that is the case. Like, the, There is probably fatigue out there listening to the likes of me talking about cyber security, but it's not going away. The bad guys are out there making money out of it. This is a multi-billion dollar industry for them. And they only have to get lucky once in terms of getting hacked into somewhere. Um, but those who are trying to defend against that has to be successful all the time, 100% of the yeah. time. And therein is the, is the conundrum. 
Yeah, we heard during the week about the MTU hack, not just during the week, it was last week as well. It, it closed down that huge institution, lectures and all sorts of activities, uh, you know, suspended while they dealt with uh, that attack. Without getting into specifics, um, what kind of effect does that have? How did they get in, these uh, cyber attackers, and what kind of a, a, an incident was that, do you reckon? Yeah, well, I suppose we don't know the, the detail of that just yet, um, and I don't know if we ever will, because sometimes they don't want um, to release that kind of information, because the bad guys will be happy, happily hearing how what was successful for them. But ultimately... It, you, you can imagine the thousands and thousands of, of users between students and um, uh, staff um, who are, have access to that network. You have to try and protect every single one of them, as well as all the various endpoints, laptops, PCs, servers, etc. So it's a huge undertaking to try and be successfully protecting that all the time. Um, so the impact of it, as you can see, should the, the, the college was closed for over a week. I think they only started with staff and students coming back on Monday last. Um, and it is possible, and this is all speculation, but the, the, in certain, I suppose I can say that it, it is fairly likely um, with most cyber attacks on this that there's a human error element to it. Somebody somewhere may have clicked on something they shouldn't have opened up a, a pathway or gateway in for the bad guys to, to, to exploit. And that is unfortunately what what happened in most of these cases that some somebody somewhere clicked on something unknowingly, obviously letting something in that they didn't know was coming in, and it might be sitting there for a period of time before it actually um, uh, engages and starts causing the problems that that they've seen. Mm-hmm. And okay, we can always refer back to the HSE for that stuff as well. Yeah, you mentioned fatigue at the start of our conversation. Um, you know, it only takes one click and you're in a whole world of pain. How can business managers, staff guard against that? I suppose it's by doing the simple things right. And one of the things that we're trying to uh, talk to our clients about is just have a plan in place. Have a single one pager if needs be that kind of says, what would you do as a business? if this was to happen to us tomorrow, if you walked in tomorrow and everything was offline or everything was blocked out in a ransomware, what, what's your actual plan? And in some cases we've done that and people say, oh, yeah, we have a bit of a plan, all right. And I said, okay, where is it? Oh, well, it's saved on such and such drive. Well, you won't have access to that. So back to printing something out and having a plan on paper that you can actually enact and look at. And it, it's great to just get your head into that space, even if it's only for spending an hour on it to actually realize what the steps will be. And in some cases, mm-hmm. businesses nowadays have to, the very first thing they have to do is actually ring their insurance company if they've got cyber insurance, for example. Because, yeah, um, talk to me about that. What sort of insurance? Is it prohibitively expensive? Is it very restrictive? Is it a realistic it, option for small and medium-sized businesses? Well, I, I think what's going, what we're going to see, and again, this is my thoughts on it, I think we're going to see it becoming much more um, prevalent because it'll be required. If you've got any business who's tend for any government jobs, for example, it's inevitable if it's not already there that the, those government tenders will request and require that you have cyber um, security insurance. Um, we have noticed they're getting very um, laborious, I suppose, and prohibitive um, over the last few years. From when we were initially helping our clients fill out the form required to get that sort of insurance, um, compared to now, you're filling out much more detailed report. Um, it's getting really down into the weeds in terms of what level of security um, you've implemented on your own network. Um, and it is getting to that point where, where it requires a, um, a security expert nearly to fill out one of those documents. So that's an idea of why or how that insurance industry has taken it so seriously and they've moved on in terms of what they're looking for, the information they're looking for. 
Mm. But so if someone's listening and they're kind of realising that jeepers, you know, I think I've kind of neglected. I was busy dealing with the downturn in the economy and I've kind of neglected my uh, IT security. What's a quick fix and what's a medium term fix? Um, I think a quick fix is to look at and this sounds too negative maybe but like think that on the, on the basis that you probably will at some stage get hacked and and there, there's such a varying degree of how bad that can be and with the HSE stuff and the MTU stuff is all the real extreme ransomware stuff but on the assumption that something negative is going to happen in that space at some stage have a proper backup and a recovery of your data in place if you can do that and do the simple things well it'll make your life easier if that event happens and that's something that's relatively easy to do you can sit down you can kind of go where are backup what data are we backing up and where are we backing it up to and backups are are as as, as old as i am they've always been around because data can go and years ago it was because a hard drive failed nowadays it's also to protect against the likes of this and i think that would yeah. be a very basic example of that and within that now how backups have evolved without getting too techie um it's now business continuity. It's not just a case of, oh, yeah, I'm able to restore that file. I can actually go somewhere, and if, God forbid, even think about a disaster, if it was a fire or a flood or something, you could actually get a, a, a solution in place that you spin back up your servers and have everything up and running in the cloud, as it's called, within a relatively short period of time. And that's not right. a big exercise to, for, for businesses to maybe look at. Um, and if well, I could take yeah. one other thing um, just to kind of jump in on it, it would be to kind of educate your staff as well, because I referred to it earlier on, if people uh, accidentally click on something, maybe there is a bit of education you could have that would help them to identify when something is a bit dodgy or if there's that niggly doubt, just do not click it, you know. Yeah, so keep the guard up uh, at all times. So look, Gavin, I have a feeling we'll be talking to you again in the coming months <laughs> and years because it's something that's not going to go away. That's Gavin Dixon, CEO of Bits. Thanks for joining us, Gavin, on the bottom line. Thanks, John. Look, we're coming up after the break. We're going to be talking about the .ie um, digital town uh competition and program uh, we'll be talking to Vernon Buckley PRO of Piltown's Taking Charge of Our Digital Future and Una McCutcheon National Director of the .ie Digital Town Program This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell With thanks to the Carlo and Kilkenny Local Enterprise Offices for business financial supports and mentoring services For more information see localenterprise.ie now you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you this evening until 7 o'clock. Now local and community groups are invited to enter the .ie Digital Town Awards 2023. It's a very innovative uh, award scheme which offers a prize fund of up to €100,000 and it's designed to help towns, communities and community groups develop digitally. I'm delighted to be joined on the phone by Una McCutcheon who's the National Director of the .ie Digital Town Programme and also Vernon Buckley who's the PRO for Piltown B4OC group who last year scooped the top prize in the award. You're both very welcome to the bottom line. Thank you, John. Una, can I start with you? Can you tell us what the whole thing is about? You're from the .ie Digital Town Programme. People will know .ie as the domain register but uh, tell us the rationale behind this programme. Yes. 
Yeah, so as a profit for good company, we reinvest our profits into projects that are going to help organisations and communities and towns develop digitally. So that's where it came from. We're now in year three, and the idea of the awards is to recognise and reward community and local projects that have a digital element and, you know, to shine a light on the achievements of those towns and villages, you know, which are made up of volunteers who give up their time, usually for free. And what they want to do is breathe new life into their towns. And we want to find a way of shining a light on those achievements and rewarding them. Vernon, you're the PRO for Pilltown B4OC, a good old acronym there. Can you make us the wiser? What's B4OC? I can, of course, John. B4OC is Broadband for Our Community. And we were lucky enough to win the overall national award last year. We won the category award and the national award. Mm. And what we're doing is we are delivering a high-quality, future-proofed, uh, broadband system to the village of Pilletown and its surrounding areas. That's yeah. what our mandate is. It's a community group. We're, it's not for profit. We're not one of the, the, the large companies. We're a not-for-profit group and we want to bring top quality broadband to everybody in Pilletown at the cheapest possible price. Now, uh, before we go into what was involved in winning it and, and what life has been like before you won it, just bring us back uh, this time last year or maybe even two years ago. Like, uh, What was your own personal experience with broadband Vernon, what was other people's experience in the area and how did this award uh, enter your lives and what difference has it made? Well, the, the general Piltown experience with broadband up to a couple of years ago was miserable. Um, most of the village was operating on three and four megs, which just isn't enough. Try and send an email on a wet day from my computer with two and a half or three megs and it just wasn't working. Uh, my background is in the education sector and I was trying to make video calls and conferences with students all over the country and it, it was impossible. You were depending on the hotspot on the phone and the phone had to be in a certain place in the room and if it was raining outside, even that wasn't great. So things were absolutely grim and we, we felt we had been kind of ignored by the authorities, the broadband authorities. Um, National Broadband Ireland deemed that the, the speeds that we had in the village were acceptable. Now, we don't accept that. Might have been acceptable 10, 15, 20 years ago, but they're not acceptable in the modern world. And for that reason, we took the decision to go it our, uh, alone, to go our own way, and to introduce broadband into the village. Um, we started from scratch. We built the entire network, all the poles, all the ducts, all of the communications cabinets, all the negotiations with landowners. We did all that by ourselves from scratch, from day one. And we're now left with an absolutely fabulous system as far as it has gone in the village so far. Mm. I checked my speeds earlier on this morning and the speed that I was getting was 750 megs in the worst part of my house, the furthest room from the modem, let's say. Right. And uh, how much of an inhibitor to the development of Piltown as a business location and also as a community has that situation been before you guys got together and started trying to remedy it? It was major. There are a number, there are, I, I don't know how many businesses exactly are in the Piltown area, but I'm living right next door to Iver Produce, O'Shea's, and they were depending on the same line, the same old telephone line as I am for their broadband. And I can only imagine it must have been an absolute nightmare for them trying to send emails and trying to communicate with suppliers overseas. Um, I know several friends of mine in the village as well who were trying to, um, say, play games or deal with banks or whatever online um, small businesses in some cases 
maybe mm. for operating from home. Uh, it, it just wasn't working. We have an enterprise centre here in Piltown and the demand for the places in the enterprise centre was very high until they found out that they were dealing with a, a zero broadband situation and they went elsewhere. Mm. And we didn't think that was that was good. That wasn't fair on a small rural community with absolutely fabulous potential if we had proper broadband, which was what put the idea into our minds to actually go for this and do it, and we did. Yeah, looking back on my files, we had you on the show last year talking about your That's victory. Correct, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you won nineteen thousand euros, not an insignificant sum of money in the .ie Digital Town program. But like, what other difference did it make, or did it? Make make any other difference the first thing we did with that money is we went out and bought a heap of telegraph poles that's the first thing that we did what's the going rate for telegraph pole out of interest it's about 150 quid is it yes yeah that's interesting but anyway you got a fair few for Um, that then and then you add the transport and you add the vat and you add the fact that you have to put it into the ground and by the time that you have one pole erect you're talking about I suppose 500 euros right that's for one pole yeah that's before you start putting in the ducting but e- even more than that even more than the money and the money was very valuable it was the, sen- the sense of approval that you got it was a pat on the back at the time we were going through uh, I'd say a kind of a rough time with the normal business problems uh, and for someone to pat you on the back and say yes you're doing a good a good job keep it up yes you're doing something valuable for the community it gave us, it gave us a great boost and mm. I remember sitting in the office watching the ceremonies that day and I remember the news coming in first that we were uh, category winners and secondly that we were national winners and the atmosphere was electric it was absolutely fabulous we got a great kick out of it mm. and I would say it kept us going for many months afterwards when things got tough and when things weren't going our way. Yeah, it can't be easy. Vernon speaks very uh, passionately there, Una, about what difference broadband makes and what difference, you know, the affirmation that the victory in the .ie Digital Town Awards made. But presumably it's open to people for more than just broadband uh, because the breadth of a digital town can be very wide. What kind of projects, um, you know, are you on the lookout for to support? Yeah, good question. So there are 10 different categories and they're all listed on our website, weare.ie. And they span from digital tourism, digital education, community, uh, digital business, agri-tech, sustainability and a number of other categories. So yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, It spans a broad range from the likes of broadband or highly developed infrastructural projects right down to maybe newcomers who are only starting on their digital journey. Mm. And what we like to say is these awards are about the impact on the community within the town or village. It's not necessarily about how digitally sophisticated the project is. So I hope that kind of makes sense to people. Mm. And uh, how do people go about doing it? Do they need to be established groups or can people actually go and get a bunch of businesses, for example, in a rural area and put it together? They don't have to be rural either, presumably, but you want, you know, they can be existing organisations, it can be an alliance of businesses, it can be alliances of organisations, presumably. How do people go about getting involved and throwing their names in the ring? So generally speaking, there'll be groups that are already, you know, formed or loosely formed. And it's interesting when you mention businesses, because we've had a few entries um, in previous years where they created a digital town marketplace. 
so that all the businesses were able to um, be featured there and to benefit from it. So it would be any kind of group within the town or the village that's doing a project that has a digital element. So you might think of a project that maybe is around sustainability, let's say. Mm. And, you know, you could have something, let's, let's say it's monitoring of beehives or something of that nature. But people will think of that in the first instance as a sustainability project. But if you're using digital as part of that, you'd be eligible for these awards. Fantastic. I advise people again just to repeat the name of the website. It's weare.ie. Weare.ie. Yeah. Vernon, if I could finish with you, just give us an update on how you've been getting on since. How's the project going in Piltown? The project is flying. We're up to about 60 subscribers at this stage, which makes the project self-sustaining in its own right. Now, we want to expand even further outside the village into the village environments, but we're running up against a problem in that we're a victim of our own success and we need cash, we need money to expand the network quickly. Now, our problem is that we are deemed by the government to be in competition with National Broadband Ireland and therefore not eligible for any local authority or state funding. We're kind of falling between the cracks, so we're running a campaign at the moment uh, I know those government regulations are to change fairly shortly. So we're hoping to include it uh, to be eligible to be applied for government funding or local authority funding or even European funding, which will enable us to push the whole thing out much faster. Hmm. It's self-sustaining at the moment, but the demand out there is incredible. Hmm. People, there are people ringing us every day, when are you coming to my area? Hmm. And we can't say when we will be coming to your area because we haven't got the money to expand into your area. It's as simple as that. Hmm. But apart from that, we're flying. We're going very well, all happy, everybody going very well. Well, that's great, Vernon. Uh, and fair dues to you and everyone involved in Piltown B4OC. That's Vernon Buckley, who's PRO for Piltown B4OC. That's uh, Piltown Broadband for our community. And also a big thank you to Una McCutcheon, who's now National Director of the .ie Digital Town Programme. Thanks very much, folks. Thanks, John. Okay, thanks, John. With John Purcell, The Bottom Line on KCLR. With thanks to the Carlo and Kilkenny Local Enterprise Offices for business, financial supports and mentoring services. For more information, see localenterprise.ie. Just coming up to 15 minutes away from 7 o'clock now. A very interesting story there about Piltown and the uh, development of their broadband uh, provision. What's the correct way of doing it? Well, anyway, whatever. It's uh, good to talk to Vernon uh, there about Vernon Buckley about that uh, project there. And of course, to Una McCutcheon, National Director of the Digital Town Programme. We're going to move from digital to the whole world of orthopaedic chairs. A really good success story from County Kilkenny. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by John Doyle, who's the Director of High Tech Medicare Limited. Good evening, John. Good evening, John. How are you keeping? Not too bad, John. Not too bad at all. Not too bad. That's good. good. Just tell us, uh, you know, you, your company was awarded the Business of the Year at the recent Kilkenny Chamber Business Awards, but uh, you, you didn't start in orthopaedics and so on. Your background was in haulage and logistics. Just take us back to the beginning of your career. Yeah, I suppose, John. I suppose I left school at a very early age, at 15, like a lot of guys did it. Around that time, like you know, I either went on and he did an apprenticeship after doing your your uh, infrastructure it was called at the time. It's now the junior surgeon, and uh, I suppose my path was into the family business at the time. 
and spent a lot of my life there and still do a bit of it. Um, my son now does a lot of it there now. But um, and I suppose then in 2013, I suppose there was a worldwide recession and I suppose the construction was the hardest hit. And I suppose that was our main employer at the time. So we looked, I suppose. Yeah, what size was the business at that stage, John? Uh, Holly, I suppose we would have been running about 12 vehicles at the time, like, yeah. Uh, employing about 14 guys. Wow. And how did the recession hit? And was it pretty sudden? And what were the effects? Well, I suppose uh, all the construction just straight up. Uh, people, I suppose, in the construction industry, uh, we've seen it, the ghost states all around the country. And uh, it just nearly stopped overnight. People couldn't get paid. And uh, I suppose that's what uh, it was the hardest, I suppose, and we had to downsize and downsize fairly quick. And uh, um, but I suppose we were looking at the time. I suppose we're running our business like we would have owned a lot of vehicles at the time, so we weren't into a whole lot of debt, but we would have been owed a lot of money. So, um, and uh, I suppose we ended up back down to two vehicles then, about 2011, 2012. And, um, that must have been pretty hard to take. That was, but look, we started off small, so, you know, we were never, you know, and, and, and look, you have to take, you have to roll with the punches, I suppose, when you're when you're dead with these and, and it's just a try and you know you, you, you get knocked off the horse and you try and get back up on the horse and go on again and as simple as that yeah uh, one evening you, you dropped over to your in-laws and uh, you had a bit of a brainwave you saw if I may say two kind of um, worse for wear orthopedic chairs was that it? yeah well something like that I suppose um, Chaplin's mum had one at the time and waiting for her daughter to come and, and, and the one that she had was, I suppose in very poor repair and um, you know, I suppose we had a conversation about it. Surely there must be something better than this out there that they could, you know, the person deserves more than that. You know, this chair would have been uh, twenty odd years old, I suppose, and some of the, the chair would have been torn on it and paint all chipped on it, and it was really, I suppose, only fit to be fit for the skip, I suppose, at that stage. But and that's all the HSC had at the time, I suppose, uh, and, and that's what was handed out. So just a conversation I had, then I suppose, over a number of weeks after that, then my own brother is an upholster by trade and. He would have dealt a small bit in this, and, and, and uh, I spoke to an engineer about it as well there, that I knew well, uh, conversation, I spoke with a pub on it, and, um, you know, and I was just there in the, in the back of my mind for a couple of weeks, you know, would it be happening this, you know, and, and, and talking to different guys, like, so we decided then, I suppose, that, you know, I picked up the phone, and <clears throat> I, I um, rang one of the nearest stores to me, a HSC store, and, and told them what I was thinking of doing, and, and, and you know, they had an issue too that they couldn't get their hands on them. And there was no one doing him in the country at the minute, as far as they could see. So I went over and I met one of the head guys over there, Gavin Von Mollendorf was his name. And uh, uh, I brought the engineer with me, Tom Thomas was his name. I hope you mind me mentioning his name there now. But um, look, that's what they want us. And uh, we came back then and we made a prototype. You know, we had to go off and source the material then in the UK and source the proper steel and, 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 and uh, get the proper paint finish on the chair uh, and brought him back one chair then as a prototype and after a number of weeks and uh, I suppose we left it that evening then with an order for 16 chairs Wow so from a a kind of an idea in your parent-in-law's house to uh, getting a prototype and the first order what kind of time frame was involved there? Well, I suppose when we when we looked at it, when we actually spoke about it first, probably a couple of months because you know you'd be thinking about it and you know I suppose what was holding me back. I suppose no engineering experience, no experience in that whatsoever. Um, so, uh, but in fairness, like he did give me a, a hand out there, Tom there, and uh, when we got going ahead first, and I said, look, sir, we may try this, and uh, there's nothing that's happening out there. And sometimes you know you can do all the research in the world and 
look, it's a lot of different things, but sometimes you have to go with your good feeling too that, you know, this might work for us. You know, and we weren't going to train conquer the world around like this, you know, if we're going to make a few bob and, and, and you know, make a living out of it, sure, that's all we wanted. Absolutely, you'd spotted a gap in the market. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Casey Lord. John Doyle, who's the director of High Tech Medicare, who won the Business of the Year Award in Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce Business Awards recently, is with me on the programme. We're going to take a break and we'll be back to hear about how his business developed from the first order to landing the Business of the Year accolade. Don't go away. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. It's just coming up to eight minutes away from seven o'clock. Matt O'Keefe coming up with the Tierlawn Farm Show just after the news at seven. And just time to remind you that Local Enterprise Week takes place from Monday, March 6th to Friday, March 10th. And there are a wide range of events taking place along with five national spotlight events that you can attend free online. And those events will focus on exporting exporting digital skills, sustainability and cost saving and how to innovate within your business. All important themes you can check out through your local enterprise office. That's localise.ie forward slash Kilkenny if you're in Kilkenny or forward slash Carlo if you're in Carlo. I'm joined by a local enterprise on the line, John Doyle, Director of High Tech Medicare. John, when we spoke before the break, you had landed your first order. Just quickly take us through how your business has grown since then. Yeah, well, you know, our first order was 16 chairs into the, the HSE stores uh, in Mount Millie, and I suppose it's, it's evolved from there. Um, we're the hotel that we were doing these, and, and we were getting, I suppose, calls from the Dublin area, um, some of the occupational therapists, the senior occupational therapists, you know, looking for these chairs, and I suppose it developed on from there. We would have travelled up to different areas, and there was about 10 different areas, and we would have went to those 10 areas. And uh, we would have done in-service days, as they call them, and we would have showcased our chair and showed them what, what we could do. And uh, and I suppose it's, it's just evolved from there at a slow pace, and it sort of does because I suppose we hadn't the herb at all, or we hadn't uh, the means to, I suppose, to, to, to build this up um, to um, a big company overnight. So it's also just to, to move us a nice slow pace there. And, and I suppose we went from maybe putting out 16 chairs a month at that time to today and now we're putting out in the region of 240 chairs a month, 250 chairs a month like so and, and uh, that's for a rest at the minute we have. Yeah, so it sounds like you really spotted a gap in the market and, and what kind of growth are you expecting into the future? You know, this is something that's here to stay I would imagine there'll always be a demand and with an ageing population the demand is probably likely to increase. Absolutely, and it is an age of population, like, and, and, and and we see it. It's it's increasing, um, you know, year on year. We will see that we're doing more, and there's there's more um, there's more areas getting in contact with us. Like we, we do a lot of stuff into the Matter Hospital. We're actually putting um, a specific chair now into the Matter Hospital into the heart and lung transplant. So that's to the level we're going to know. You can, you can imagine all the infection control that needs to be in there. So. Uh, with a main supplier to Connolly Hospital in uh, Dublin as well, uh, Tala Hospital, James's Hospital. Uh, we're also talking to the Mayo General Hospital there at the minute. Uh, they're looking for a major reform up there and they're looking for us to get involved in it. And mm-hmm. um, we, um, I suppose, we deal with Clontarf Hospital a lot. There will be a step down uh, facility from Bournemouth in the matter where maybe someone goes for a couple of weeks to convalesce after getting a hip done. And yeah, sounds uh, like uh, you have a healthy sales pipeline. And John, what did winning the the business award? Uh, you won the family business first, and then you won the overall business of the year award. What did that mean to you? 
look, we never thought in our latest dreams when we set this up that we were going to win an award like this. And, and you know, even going in on the night, you know, when we saw what companies was around us there, like, and, and, and you know, to, and to be mentioned in the same breath of them, you know, it's great. Like, and I suppose really it was in recognition to all our employees as well. Like, you know, we have a fantastic uh, 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 staff here, full time and part time. And, you know, it's recognition of what they did as well. Like, you know, they're mm. a big part of this as well. Like, you know, and, and, and look, it's a huge for us. And we were, you know, we were overjoyed to get to be part like this. Well, well done to you. It's a great story. Started with a hunch in your in-laws and you're now employing nine people and the Business of the Year Award. John, we look forward to keeping up to date with you and the development of your business. But until we speak again, thanks very much. That's uh, John Doyle of High Tech Medicare. That's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Thanks to all our guests, Eamon Quinn, Gavin Dixon, Una McCutcheon, Vernon Buckley and John Doyle. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email The Bottom Line at caseylor96fm.com and listen back on any of the podcasts platforms just search for the bottom line on Casey Lore. thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show thanks to you for listening until next Thursday when we'll be back just after the news at 6 with lots more stories for and about business be good to each other take care stay safe and keep the faith this is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. With thanks to the Carlo and Kilkenny Local Enterprise Offices for business financial supports and mentoring services. For more information, see localenterprise.ie. 